0: read for you the words of God, and it's a very simple text. I'm not even going to put it up on the screen, I just want you to hear it. It's, it's such a simple text, and yet it, it, it's full of mystery for me. Uh, the, there are no Greek verbs that we're going to parse, there is, is no unpacking the meaning of some pluperfect tense of the Greek sentence, it's just a little story of Jesus doing what he does best, and that is calling people to himself. And yet, it's mystified me for years what was going on here. And I want you to hear it as though you're hearing it for the very first time. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Ever wonder what's going on there? I mean, come on! Somebody's daddy didn't bring these boys up too well. You don't just leave your nets bunched in a heap full of seaweed and walk away. You don't just, on a whim, walk away from your livelihood. And especially this! You don't walk out on your father with the job half done. What was up with that? So I've wondered for a long time, what what was it about Jesus? What was it? I mean, yes, He was the Savior, but they didn't know that at that point. He didn't have any money to offer them. Even though He ruled the whole world, He didn't at that point have any money to offer or prestige. What He had to offer was that they would wander from town to town. Most nights sleeping on the hard ground and being so hungry that they'd scrounge for food as they walked through a farmer's field, they'd, they'd pick the heads of the grain and get in trouble for doing it. So it wasn't all that. Then I got to think, well, Maybe, maybe it really was like the medieval paintings with Jesus kind of walking six inches above the ground in this sparkling halo over his head. They made everyone go, ooh. Nah. <laughs> nah. Then I'm thinking, maybe he gave him the lazy eye. You know, he just kind of cocked his head and looked at him funny and gave him, put a little holy spell on him. I can hear Simon saying, Andrew, did you see that? Look, we better go with him or he's going to turn us into carp. (laughs) Something was going on there. Something more than meets the 21st century American eye. And all I can do is marvel. Jesus called and they followed. Why? Why? What was he tapping into? I've heard sermons preached on this text. I have preached sermons on this text. In my years of seminary, they never unpacked it for me. Of course, in their defense, way back then I was known to skip a class or two, but I don't think I missed it. And then I came across recently the work of a preacher and teacher by the name of Rob Bell. And thanks to him, my marvel has turned from a huh to a woe. And I want to share that with you today. But I just need to say that I am very indebted to him and his research for much of what I want to say today and what I'm going to ask us all to celebrate. But before I do that, join with me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just invite you now to be very present in this place. We want your spirit not only to hover, but to move. And we want you to move in us. And so, Lord, we tell you now that each one we would take a posture of openness and receptivity that you might be free to move as you wish. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dreamers, are we not? It's in our DNA. And we are all reminded of that Every four years at this international event we call the Olympics, it inspires the dreamer in all of us. Resulting in, in little girls cartwheeling and tumbling across backyard lawns. I remember when my daughter Christy, we, we used to call her Titi when she was a little kid and she would put on a pink leotard when the Olympics were on, and she'd be out, she'd put our camping pads across a stretch of the back lawn and set up a lawn chair for me, because I was going to be the judge, and I'd sit down, and I'd watch her try and do her best cartwheel, and then a somersault, and then she'd stand up, and she'd snap her heels together, pull her shirt down, and go like that. <laughs> and I'd say, Christy, that was great! That was an 8.5, and she'd go back to the mat, and then she'd, she'd do her cartwheel, and she'd do her somersault, and she'd stand up. And I'd say, Christy, that was a 9.9. That was wonderful. And she'd just keep going and going until i give her that 10 because we're all dreamers. Those of you who have a trampoline in your backyard, if you've been watching carefully this week, your kids are bouncing a little higher, aren't they? I saw that with my son when he was over at his friend's house. After watching these guys, did you see the guys and girls? They're going 20-some feet in the air, and and now my kid, he's just a little more bounce. I even caught myself running a little faster this week on my three-mile jog. And as I noticed I was doing that, I I went back and thought how unconsciously I was thinking of these Olympic runners. Come on! I'm 47 years old and at my best, I can do a seven-minute mile. (laughs) But something is stirred in all of us at this every four-year dream catcher event called the Olympics. And that's because we were born to dream. We're born to be somebody, to do something great. I want to take us back to the time of our text, to Christ's day, 2,000 years ago, and things were very different then. We all didn't wonder who was going to be the next Maya Ham to lead the, the women's American Olympic soccer team to gold, or the next... Paul Ham who would controversially win the all-around men's uh, gymnastics gold. It's not who's gonna be the next movie star or wasn't who's gonna be the next superstar athlete or what have you. The society in Jesus day lifted another ideal. It was the very center of Jewish life and everybody entered into it. There was and it was the Word of God. There was no higher dream than to learn the Word of God and maybe live it out and then maybe even be able to teach it. Now that sounds crazy. It's hard for us to tap into that today. I think the only parallel I can come up with is this obscure, relatively obscure event called a geography bee. How many here have been ever in a geography bee? Okay, I'm making my point. Yeah, right. If you're holding your hand up, I'm just not seeing it. But maybe one or two of you out of well over a thousand people in this room. So, okay. But this geography bee, you know what happens. You see it in the paper once in a while. At least I do because I love geography. I just don't have a good memory. But, you know, they'll ask some kid, what is the river that runs between Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan? If they're adjoining countries, and how long does it flow, and you know, and from what mountain range does it flow from, and where does it, you know, what sea does it empty into? You know, stuff like that. Imagine a world, imagine America where everyone was absolutely, utterly consumed by winning the geography bee. Think about it. We wouldn't have soccer moms, we'd have geography bee moms. Only instead of a geography bee, it was all around the Word of God. And so it began when youngsters were six years old, they would enter what was called Bet Sefer. Bet Sefer means the house of the rock. And as a little six-year-old, they would take their slate to Bet Sefer on the very first day, and the rabbi would sit them all down, and with their slate in hand, he would drizzle honey over their slate and over their hands. This honey, which was in that society the rarest, sweetest, most incredible thing to be experienced, and then he'd invite them to lick the honey off their hands. And he'd say, may you never forget that the words of God are like honey. In bet Sephyr, a child was there from the time they were six years old until about ten years of age. And during that time, they would memorize the entire Torah. The Torah was the center book for... The the center uh, books, I should say. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. All of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy would be memorized while they were in Beth Sefer. By the age of 10, they'd have it down. I won't even ask for a show of hands as to how many of you have even read all of those five books. By 10, they had them memorized so precious was the Word of God now I, I dial it forward 2,000 years to, to to our kids and I think of of my daughter, who's now 20, but when she was four, Kari had every word of Disney's The Little Mermaid movie memorized. Not just the songs, the entire dialogue of the whole movie. And she liked to show that off by by reciting it just before the characters would recite it to the annoyance of her little sister and everyone else in the room. The whole thing! My son Kenny, when he when he was just an eight year old, the movie Shrek was was really big. And it's a cute movie. It's a really fun movie. We show pieces of it in our in our training class on uh, on uh, small group leading, how to lead a small group. But Kenny, just picture this little white headed. Toe-headed kid running around in shorts and no t-shirt as an eight-year-old, quoting the donkey in the movie Shrek. He'd just bop around the house going, Oh, Shrek, you got to warn someone before you crack one off like that. I have my mouth open and everything. And we'd never know whether to laugh or be disgusted. So I laughed and my wife was disgusted. Kids know they've got an iPod loaded with 80 CDs, they know the words to every one of those songs, don't they? Kids aren't so different today. I think what's only different is what we've taught them to value. That's tragic. But if a kid did well in Bet Sefer, in the day of our text, at the age of 10, they would be invited to move on to what was called Bet Talmud. They would be in Bet Talmud from the age of 10 until about 14 or 15. And in Bet Talmud, they would memorize the entire Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament. But they didn't just memorize the text, they cherished it. They, it. To them, it was like honey. They explored it, they probed it, they saw it as a gem, this large gem that they could turn and look at all the different facets to see the light that would be coming. From it and it wasn't just about rote memory for eight years of their life it was about processing what is this about so they do things like this the analogy I'll use will be a math one just because it's simpler for us to grasp the rabbi would say what's what's 2 plus 2 and the student would say "Well, what's 16 divided by 4 and then the rabbi might say, oh, that's good. What is three plus six minus five? And so on and so forth. They'd never just talk about four. They'd, they'd just look at it from every angle to understand how four worked with all the other things. Well, that's what they would do with Scripture. And they would offer, often answer a question with a question which is exactly what Jesus did in a lot of his teaching in the Gospels when the Pharisees would approach him and say things like, hey, let's try and trip him up here. Hey, 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 Jesus. What do you say about paying taxes to Caesar? He'd just reply, well, whose face is on the coin? God's or Caesar's? Or, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath? He would reply by saying, If a sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, are you going to lift it out? Of course. And people are much more valuable than sheep. Of course, I'll heal on the Sabbath, do good on the Sabbath. Or they would ask him, Hey, with whose authority do you do this? He would say, Where did John get his authority? John the Baptist. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a mid-teen when it was prophesied to her that she was about to bear the Christ child, the Son of God. And she broke into this beautiful poetry that we recognize as her own and call the Magnificat. You know what it is? It's a bunch of Old Testament quotes right out of the Prophets. Most of them, the minor prophets, obscure stuff that you maybe haven't even read. But she had it memorized because she would have been in Beth Talmud. Such was the life in the day of our text. And such were the dreams of the people. Now, by now, I hope I have you wondering, what does all this have to do with Matthew 4 and the text I read? Good question. I'm getting there and you're going to like it. But before we get there, we need to enter into the scene, the rabbi. Now, the rabbi wouldn't just teach Torah, which was the center of Hebrew life. He would teach an interpretation of the Torah. He would teach the interpretation of the Torah that he learned from his rabbi who learned it from another rabbi. And so it would go. And it may be then that a rabbi would enter a town and say, You have heard it said in the Torah to love your neighbor. Well, to love your neighbor, you need to do these five things, and you can't do these four. That would be that interpretation of the Torah. Now, another rabbi might walk into town and say, Hey, You've heard it said, love your neighbor. Well, that means you got to do these seven things, but you can't do these three. Now, that whole process of interpreting the Torah, it, 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 you get to do this, but you can't do that. This is permitted, this is forbidden. That is what Scripture refers to as loosing and binding. And the cumulative set of interpretive stuff, the yes, you can do these, no, you can't do these, was a rabbi's yoke. The sum of all of that was their yoke. And so when it says in Scripture, take on the yoke of Jesus, take on my teaching. You know, all those sermon illustrations you heard about, you know, two oxen being yoked together and Jesus is on one side, you're on the other and you can't go too far ahead of Jesus, you can't go too far behind or it's going to chafe. That's a really nice illustration. That's <laughs> not what it means. Now, if... A rabbi was very wise and very revered. They would be authorized by a couple of other rabbis to teach their own interpretation of Torah. They would establish a new yoke. They would confer upon this person what was called shmiha or authority to teach their own version or interpretation of Torah. So Jesus walks on the scene And just after he called his first disciples, in fact, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read it. It's full of language like this. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemy. That's why they went to him and said, hey, with whose authority are you doing this? Where did you get shmiha?" And he said where did John the Baptist get his? It was conferred on him by John the Baptist in his baptism event and by God himself as the Holy Spirit came upon him in the sign of a dove. Now the rabbi's goal was to spread his yoke He wanted his teaching. He believed he gave his life to this interpretation of Torah, and, and so he would want to spread this yoke as wide as he could. How was he going to do that? He would do that by selecting the best of the best of the best students that had made it through Bet Sefer and into Bet Talmud and were now ready to come out of Bet Talmud. He would look for the very elite and ask them to be his disciples, his Talmudin the very elite, brightest stars. He would look for people who could be like him, who could live like him, who would follow him everywhere, literally. They would copy his every move. They would say the same things he said. They would pray the same prayers he prayed throughout the day for every imaginable activity because they wanted to be like him. And he would select them based on their ability to do that. So the student's foremost dream, obviously, would be, I want to follow you, Rabbi. I want to learn your yoke. I want to be like you, and I want to teach it to others. The rabbi's driving question was, Does this student have what it takes? Can they do what I do? Can they be like me? at the end of Bet Talmud, to the very, very best of the best, the Olympic gold medalists, the rabbi would approach them and say, come and follow. And to the others... he'd probably look down at the ground a little bit just catch a glimpse in their eye and say go and work your family trade and these people who had given their lives to a dream would go home and say dad mom I'm sorry I didn't make it I guess I'll have to learn how to mend a fishing net or frame a door or barter fruit and vegetables at our family market sometimes our dreams elude us don't they? they 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 just they just flit away like a songbird launching off a twig they, they tease us and then they disappear or sometimes we let them go for lesser things and other times we try really hard and we just come up short Now we can go back to our text. Now we can unpack it. What's it all about? People, do you see it? It's right here now for our 21st century American eyes to see. And it's incredible. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. They were working the family trade. They had been sent home. They were not good enough. Their dreams had long since faded. Jesus walks up to two dropouts and says, dream again, boys, I choose you. Can I get an amen? Amen. You can be like me. I believe you can be like me. Come and follow he didn't give him the lazy eye he gave him hope now I get the next piece now I get what was going on here I was always thinking Zebedee got the raw end of the deal going on from there he saw two other brothers James the son of Zebedee and his brother John they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets when Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. <laughs> I can see it now. Do you see it? Oh, it's incredible. And if you're a parent, you know. Oh, you know about the hopes and dreams you have for your kids. Man, if I had a Zebedee in that boat, I'd have popped one foot up on the gunwale and then push, give it one quick pump, and flip the boys right into the lake. Guys, get in there. Jesus is calling. And as they left, I would maybe turned to the guy in the boat next to ours and said, Hey, Mordecai, I'm going to be working late tonight. I'll be pulling the nets in all by myself. Did you see what just happened? My boys, my boys were chosen. That, that Jesus, he thinks they can be just like it. There they go. There they go. We are dreamers, are we not? It's in our DNA. Could it be we were put here for a reason? Could it be that we dare dream of significance and impact? You say, "Ah, oh, Kev, I'm just not good enough. I'm just life is. I'm so normal. I didn't. Uh, you know what? When I was a senior in college, I had a roommate. We had four of us who were in a little apartment. And Tim was a great guy. I love him, still love him. We're buds today. Lives, he pastors up in Calgary, Canada. Saw him last summer. Tim's a great guy, but he did something my senior year of college. That he has no idea how much it hurt me. You know what he did? He nicknamed me normal. He'd just say, Kev, you're so Normal all the time so he just started calling me normal and I didn't want to let him know at all how much that hurt so I just barbed right back I'd say Tim I know what bugs you what bugs you isn't that I'm normal it's that I'm perfect (laughs) but the truth of the matter is that cut because he was he, he was a lot more right than I'll ever be about my side but you know what Jesus came to me and said Ain't hey, normal I choose you and if you if I if you'd asked told me 20 years ago that one day I would be up here telling a thousand people about the love of Jesus I'd ask you what you're smoking It's not about being up here sharing the love of God in this way. It's not about being a norm with an incredible voice and musical talent. It's about Jesus believing in us and calling us because He believes we can be like Him. So we just got to respond. He gave his life that we might come and follow, that we might be like him. And that's why he even says, you can do greater things. You will do greater things than I have done. As we give our life away like he did, joining him. And that ought to give us reason to celebrate. And that's how I want us to respond. Jesus says, I choose you even if your mama and daddy never taught you to dream. Jesus says, I choose you even if you spend way too much time pursuing other dreams. Jesus says, come and follow even if life is for you net-mending normal. I choose you even if, especially if, you are weighed down by the sin of your life. I choose you. I just want to invite us all to celebrate that right now. He chooses you. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. That is good news. I don't want to leave it dangling. I want to give you all a chance to respond. You will not be under any compulsion whatsoever. But if you are moved today by the love of Jesus that calls us to follow him just as we are, I invite you to stand. If for you life is normal and you really want to make a difference, you want to bind your life to him, maybe you've done this already maybe you've done it before but in a new expression of gratitude and celebration and reverence and commitment i want you to stand and if your life today is anything but normal oh for some normalness to your life and you're crying out to god and you're hearing him say just come and follow me i'll be there i want you to stand If you're tired and weary and broken, especially to the broken, Jesus said, come and follow. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want you to stand. And for anyone who has never yet, or for, put it this way, for the very first time today, is, wants to respond to the call of Jesus to come and follow, will you stand? We are dreamers, are we not? It's in our DNA. We have reason to celebrate because the Son of God bids us as we are come and follow. You can be like Him. Please, everybody, join with me. Stand for closing prayer those of you who are standing for the first time after to give your life to Christ there'll be some people over here at this table to help explain to you what that was all about and we've got a gift for you it's a very exciting thing that is happening here today join me in prayer Father God Hallelujah Your Son You Father God You love us And as we are, you bid us come and follow. And as much as we are dreamers, I know your dream for us is so much more than we've even seen. But we stand today to follow you. We bid you lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.